Uh, we're glad you're here this weekend. We've been in this series uh, going through the book of Job, and, and so I think the book of Job has a lot of application to us in the season in which we're in now and trying to navigate a perfect storm. You know, Job navigated a perfect storm, and so I think there's a lot we can learn from him. If you've been in this series with us, and you know we started out on this journey together, and the first thing we looked at is when the unexpected happens, that, that problems come, and they usually don't announce themselves. It's not something we can put on our calendar to let us know it's coming. It just happens, and so, so we looked at when the unexpected comes, and then last weekend, uh, we looked at when life doesn't make sense, and, and when you go through through that, and you're navigating that crisis, you're in the crisis, and all of a sudden you come to that place, and it just seems like nothing makes sense. Now today, we're jumping all the way ahead, so if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to, turn to with me, uh, Job chapter 42, where really, I'm honestly just going to preach like three or four verses. We're going to read some more so you can get some of the context, but I, I think the weight of this message, the focus of this message is like in the first three or four verses, and so if you don't have a you know, Bible app or old school uh, paper Bible, no worries. The, the words are going to come up on the screens as I, as I read them. And so today, we're going to look at this issue of when you're in your crisis, when God shows up. And that's a big question, right? How do you know when God shows up? How do you know when God shows up in a crisis? How do you know when God shows up in a situation? There's some people tell you it's all based upon emotion, right? You'll hear some people talk about emotion. I got this feeling. I got this quiver in my liver. Uh, you know, I got goosebumps. Uh, you know, I got this emotion. I got this feeling. And they talk about it like it's all emotion. It's just this emotional thing that happens. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about this. fact is what the Bible says is something different. When you and I know that God shows up into a situation, we're changed. We're totally changed. Our view of, our, our view of ourselves change. Our view of God changes. Our view of our situation, our perspective, what's going on in life. Everything begins to change, and we're changed in which, which all of a sudden we put some action in place. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe, maybe you've come into a worship service, and it was when you met Christ. And all of a sudden, God showed up, and all of a sudden, your, your view of God, your view of yourself, the view of people around you changed. And because of that, your actions, your life begin to change as a result of that. And maybe, maybe you've gone on a mission trip, and you've been on this mission trip, and all of a sudden... God met you there, and as a result of that, you wanted to serve more. Uh, you wanted to work with, with that person or that people group, and you, you wanted to go every year on that mission trip, and it was like everything aligned in your life. Maybe you've been in a crisis, and all of a sudden, you, you were at that place when life didn't make sense. God showed up, and all of a sudden, your view of yourself and God changed, and, and you went to like a deeper level spiritually with your actions. See, this was Job. Job Job was a righteous man. God, Job was a God-fearing man. Job knew God, and Job got into this crisis. God shows up in the midst of this crisis, and Job is changed. He's forever changed. That's what we're going to look at this morning, and then we're going to end with an Our Father prayer because I just think it would be appropriate. You'll understand that later. And so, so three things about Job, and maybe you can apply this to your life. I just think there's a lot of application here. I am praying that God ministers to you in a very personal way this morning, that just through his word, just through his word, that you know that you have met with him, that you've come into his presence and you've heard from him directly from his word to your spirit, to your heart. The first thing about Job is Job was like never the same. One of the ways that you and I know that God shows up in our situation is that all of a sudden we're, we're, just, we're just not, we're never the same. And we'll pick up the story in Job chapter 42. 
uh, verses 1 and through 3, and, or just 1 and 2, and here's what the scripture says. <clears throat> then Job answered the Lord. So, so Job had had a, <coughs> excuse me, Job had had a conversation with the Lord. Remember the context, Job had, had, had called God into account for some things, and then God answers him. It's just so fascinating. So then Job answered, and then Job answered the Lord and said, I know, I know that you can do all things. Remember up until this point, he was questioning God. He says, I know, and we talked about that last week, where you move to an I know person, from an even though person to an I know person. He says, I know that you could do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so you look at this issue and you realize that all of a sudden Job came to this place and says, you know what? I know. I know you're in control. I know I, know I can trust you. I know, listen, I know no plan of yours, no purpose of yours, no man can take over, no man can manipulate, no man can change. I understand you're God and I am not. I understand that you're in charge and I am not. And I'm coming to this place and, and I'm coming to the place because see, up until now, Job was questioning God. Job was questioning God's plan. Job was questioning why he was going through this. Job had all these questions. And there are a point in this, this discussion where Job says, one day God's going to give an account to me. God's going to answer to me. And Job now comes to his place. God shows up. Everything changes. And Job says, you know what? I realize you don't give an account to me. I give an account to you. I'm not in control. You're in control. I, I also understand, even though I, I don't like what's going on and all the situation, I have some questions. I know that you're in control. And as a result of that, that I can trust you. That God, whatever you're going to do, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be right. I just may not understand it. See, Job is acknowledging the fact. Here's one of the ways you know that God has showed up in your life. Job is acknowledging the fact that his concept of God was a small God and not a big God. This is a huge word for us in a perfect storm. I don't know what's going to happen. Be very careful of that individual that's doing YouTube videos and, and preaching messages. And, and they are sure they've had a dream. They've had a word. It's out of Scripture. They're not quoting Scripture. And they know what's going to happen. That was Job's three friends. I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I know. You can trust God. That God is still in control and God is still in charge. And no man can change his plans or his purpose. And then he goes on, verse 3. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered. And so now there's a confession. I have uttered what I did not understand, things that are too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You know what Job's admitting? Job's admitting he has, he has limits. He has limited knowledge. He has limited information. One of the most humbling things we can do is admit, you know what, we... We have limits. See, God's, God's goal for us, God's goal for Job is that we would just enter into a loving union with him and that we would just trust him. But the problem is, the problem is we as people in the flesh, uh, we, we tend to be controlling, right? I know I do. I know I do. I mean, we tend to be, as humans, we tend to be controlling. I mean, I mean, if you're like me, I want the world to unfold a certain way, and I want it to unfold a certain way in which I like it. I mean, it needs to unfold in a certain way so I'm happy or I feel good about it. I understand it. If we're not careful, we resist anything in life that is, like, negative or difficult. And if we live life, listen, God wants us to live lives that are surrendered. But if we live lives clinging and resisting... 
that will always go against God. And guess what? We'll, we'll never, we'll never have peace. That if we're going through life and clinging and resisting and resisting him, we'll never surrender to him. And so we come to God when we're controlling, when we're clinging and we're resisting, especially in crisis. We come to God and we come to God with some preconceived outcomes. When we ask God for advice, we're not really asking for advice. You know what we're asking? We're trying to manipulate and control. That's what Job was trying to do. God, here's, I, I just want you to bless my plans. God, here's what I want you to do for me. Here's, we're not really surrendering to him, surrendering. Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, abide in, in openness to what is unfolding around us, knowing that God is in control. Psalms 18, I mean, you can read it for yourself. It says that we're, sur we're, that we're surrendering to God and what God is doing, and God cannot be controlled and manipulated. We just trust him. Augustine, one of the church fathers, Augustine said this. He said, if you understand it is not God, if you understand it is not God you understand, he is much bigger than that. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. We're going to read that verse in a few minutes in Isaiah. We have to listen, especially in a crisis. We have to admit, you know what? We have to acknowledge we have limitations. Ever noticed in life that, that, that you have limits of understanding to where you see something, you're going into a situation, and you feel like it's going to be a blessing and it turns out to be a bad situation? Or you go into a situation, you feel like it's going to be a, a, a bad situation and it turns out to be a blessing? You know why that is? Because we have limited knowledge. We, we have limited knowledge. We don't understand everything. This, this happened to me many years ago. I've never told this story about, about Brittany, but Brittany is her second year of college. She's uh, going to UCCS in the Springs. She's, she's working at Best Buy. She's dating a guy that is, that is being, he's being mean to her. Uh, we won't mention his name, you know, but he's being mean to her. I'm not happy. Her mother's not happy. And so one evening, Karen and I were in the Springs. Uh, Brittany was working at Best Buy, so we decided that we'd stop by. We also know that, knew that the young man worked at Best Buy. And so we stopped by Best Buy, and I have the spiritual gift of observation. And so, I mean, I am like, I am scanning the horizon trying to pick out this guy. I never met him. And so I'm scanning the horizon trying to pick out who this guy is. We get to Best Buy. We're hoping that Brittany has a break coming up, and then we can take her to, to dinner and talk through this whole thing. And so, so I'm scanning the horizon. There's this young man that keeps walking up to Brittany, like, repeatedly. And I know that he worked there, and he was bothering her even at, at, at work. And so I started the dad thing. I started giving, like, the glare. I, I want him to, him to know that I'm Brittany's dad, and I am not happy with the way he's treating her. And so I'm glaring at him, and all of a sudden he realizes, you know, it gets awkward. He realizes I'm glaring at him, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him. And I could tell he was nervous, and I says, I know, I know, he's the guy, and so I just want him to know. And so all of a sudden, Brittany comes over, and, I mean, she's, she's not happy. Karen's not happy, and so... Brittany comes over and says, Dad, what are you doing? I said, well, that's that guy. That's that guy that's giving you a hard time. I just, I just want him to know that I'm your dad and I'm not happy with him. And Brittany, I've already decided if he'll come over here and talk to me, I'm going to tell him that, listen, I, I am not afraid to go back to prison for anybody that's mean to my daughter. I am not afraid. And she said, Dad, would you stop it? It's not who you think it is. I'm like, what? She says, that's Corey. Now, you know the story. Corey's going to become her future husband. She says, Corey, Corey's the guy that's trying to help me. And I'm like, really? 
Well, go tell Corey I'm sorry. And so <laughs> the next time I meet Corey, so she breaks up with that guy. The next time I meet Corey, the next time I meet Corey, well, I'm sorry, I meet him for the first time officially. It was awkward. Then the next time I meet Corey, they're engaged. And from the time of their first date to when they got married, they actually wanted to be like six weeks. I thought six years. And, and so I'm not real happy with that whole thing. We worked it out to six months. And so, and Corey and I laugh about this all the time. It was an awkward start to Corey and I's relationship. It was an awkward start. And, uh, but you know what? I may have thought going into that whole thing, it wasn't a, it was a bad situation. It was a really good situation. It's been one of the greatest blessings of my life. I cannot imagine... I cannot imagine a better husband for my daughter, a better father for my grandkids. I mean, the things that we have walked through with Corey and Brittany, I mean, they've walked through adoption, they've walked through uh, being uh, uh, foster parents and respite care and all of that other stuff, uh, brain tumors. I mean, uh, Corey and I, we've sat in emergency rooms together, we've encouraged each other, we've prayed together, we've talked on the phone, uh, ministry and everything else. And sometimes, see, sometimes... Sometimes we just have to admit we have limited knowledge. And we have limited knowledge. And we don't have all the information that there's sometimes we can go into a situation we think it's going to be bad and it turns out to be a blessing. There's sometimes we go into a situation we think it's going to be a blessing and it turns out to be difficult. And so one of the things that God was trying to get Job to understand is that you have limited knowledge. And you just need to learn to trust me. Man, asking God about his will just starts with complete openness to God. To we're just open to him. And if we're, not, if we're not completely open to him to do whatever he wants us to do, what, if we're not completely open to him and to his will, whatever that means to us, then we're coming to him with, a, with, 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 a, with an agenda. And we need to embrace our limits. And so the questions that, that God began to ask Job wasn't to try to vindicate God. It wasn't, listen, God wasn't even answering Job. He never answered why Job went through suffering. Because of Job's limited knowledge, Job would have probably never understood. If, Job, if God right now said, this is why I'm doing everything that I'm doing in the world and the country and everything else, we probably don't even have the capacity to understand because of our limited knowledge. So, so God asked him some questions and said some things because God was trying to help him understand that your view of me is small. And you now have a big view of me. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 55, 8. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, what he's trying to help us understand is, guess what? God's thoughts need to become our thoughts. God's ways need to become our ways. Not, not, not God needs to kind of adjust to our ways, and God doesn't need to adjust to, to our thoughts, that we come to this place of repentance. We come to this place of trust. We come to this place to where we understand that we have limited information, and we just need to trust him. I mean, Psalm 33 should give us comfort. Psalm 33 tells us, you can read it for yourself later, just a little bit of homework. This says, God will fulfill his purpose through the nations for his people. God is in control. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But one thing that we know, we know that God is in complete control and we should be able to trust him. And Job goes on and, and, and does his surrender prayers. Job 42.5 says, And I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. 
So all of a sudden, God shows up in this situation of Job. Job goes into a deeper relationship with God, and you find this surrender prayer. And he says, I've heard of you. I've read your word all these years. I've studied doctrine. I had an intellectual knowledge of you. I had some information about you. But for the first time, God, I have truly seen you. And I've seen you not as a small God, but as a big God. Not as a God that can be controlled or manipulated or has to answer to me, but I have seen you as a God that, listen, I can trust you. His relationship moved from more of an intellectual relationship and more of a religious relationship to a personal relationship. And then all of a sudden he moves into a deeper encounter with God. And watch this. He just goes, verse 6. He says, therefore, now, now Job's talking about himself, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Job meets God in a personal way, and he's totally and completely humbled. And he's broken before him. Job is not flippant with his meeting with God. He's not blowing that meeting off. I mean, it, it, he's not arrogant. It's a deep... Listen, when people come into the presence of God, and they, they're humbled, and they realize how small they are in the whole scheme of things and how big he is... And as a result, they could trust him. I mean, when he, when he looked at this, he said it. Job said, therefore, I despise myself. That word despise in the Hebrew means to melt away. It's like ice melting. It was a picture of ice melting. God, I despise myself. I mean, I melt away. I understand. I understand how small I am. I understand how big you are. I understand that, God, you're, man, I may not understand it. I may not even like it. I, I just understand you're in control, and I can trust you. I can trust you. And that's why he goes on, and he says, and I repent in dust and ashes. And the question is, what is he repenting of? says that Job was not a perfect man. He's righteous, right living. So what's he, what's he repenting of? I mean, his three friends had their ideas. I mean, they, they, were, they were glad to tell him what they thought he needed to repent of. Job's repenting of the sin of pride. Job's, Job thought God answered to him. Job thought God needed to justify to him why and what he was doing in his life. And if you remember back some of the conversations Job had with his friends, remember when Job really got prideful? And he says, when I come into God's presence, I got these questions. He's going to give me an account. Here's my questions. He'd already listened. He already had the legal pad out. He had already jotted down all of his questions. Here's what I'm going to ask God. This is what God's going to answer for me. And what Job did not understand is when you truly come into the presence of God and you see him and you realize how big he is and how holy he is and how righteous he is, you can do nothing but just fall down and surrender to him. And that's what happened with Job. And Job repented, and repentance is simply this. It's just a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And you see this in Job's life. He says, I've sinned. And I despise myself. I melt away. I'm humbled, and I see how big you are. The first thing that happens is I'm telling you, the first thing that happens when people truly have a deeper understanding of who God is is, is they're never the same. The second thing is this. Job found freedom from his past. He also, he also found healing in the past. When we see Job had, was liberated from things that people held him in bondage. Remember, his three friends were a little bit difficult to him, with him, and, and there were some issues going on between him and his friends. And, and sometimes that happens in crisis, right? Crisis can create relational problems. 
Crisis can divide families. Crisis can divide churches. Crisis can divide uh, countries. Tri- crisis can divide organizations and, and, and everything else. And we see that in the story. And so verse 7, And the Lord has spoken these words to Job. And the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right, so as my servant Job has. This is such a sobering passage. God is telling his friends that I'm going to hold you accountable for your words. I'm going to hold you accountable for what you've said about me. You're not representing me well. His friends lack this issue of discretion. Discretion gives you the ability to just kind of discern the things of God and wait on him. Wait for things to unfold. And like Job's friends, we need to embrace, surrender, and acknowledge that we have, we have limits. That we just have limits. And when you, when you look at what's going on in, in the world, just like Job's three friends, people are tempted without discretion to quickly say what God is doing. He's judging the church. He's judging America. He's judging believers. He's judging and all these other things. And we need to be very careful with that. It's just like in Jeremiah's day. When Jer- in Jeremiah's day, when the, when the country was being shaken by its foundation, there were these, these false prophets from what God said. These false prophets running around and dreaming dreams and saying words. And, and, and God went to Jeremiah and said this. God told Jeremiah, let them, let them dream their dreams. Let them say their predictions. But Jeremiah, I didn't give them those dreams, and I didn't give them those words, and I didn't give them those messages. Jeremiah, you, you continue to preach the word. You just continue to preach the word. There's power in the word. So that's what we do at Fellowship of the Rock. You see, you may, not, you may be new to our church. You may not know me. You may be watching online for the first time. And I just need you to know, I am just a Bible guy. I am just a... I, I loved... Listen, even before I was in ministry, and I loved what I did before ministry, and sometimes I miss what I did before ministry. But I love teaching this word more than I love what I did before ministry. And I'm just a Bible guy, even in the early 90s, like before the internet. Uh, yes, there was a time, kids, that there was no internet. I know you don't know how you would have survived in the world, but I had it tough. And so we had what was called bulletin boards. And I would go home in the evenings, I would write sermons, and I would post sermons on bulletin boards. And then I would engage with people. I would teach any place anybody would listen to me. I'd just open up his word. I am a Bible guy. I believe that God's word, when you preach it correctly, changes lives. I'm a, I'm a gospel guy. I would give my life for the gospel. I believe the gospel changes lives. That's what brought us to Pueblo, Colorado. It's because I believe in the gospel, and I believe the gospel changes life, that Jesus Christ came to this earth fully God, fully man, lived a sinless, perfect life, then went to the cross, took on my sins and took on your sins, and he was crucified. He's, he, was, he died, he was buried, and then on the third day, he rose again so we could have forgiveness of sin. And as a result of that, he's already met our greatest need, and we can trust him. I believe the gospel, listen, I believe the gospel still to this day, in this crisis, in this time, changes lives. I believe we should love our neighbors well. I believe we should care about the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual uh, health of people. I believe that to my core in this issue of the... And and I I believe 
that our only hope is to trust him. Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He was on the throne. He was seated. He was not pacing back and forth. He was not wringing his hands. He was in control. And we should see him that he is seated on the throne. And because of that, we could trust him. I believe in the gospel. I believe the gospel still changes lives. Just a real quick story. Our drive-in worship night. Uh, that we had out on the parking lot, and it was really, I mean, it was awesome, and it, it, was, a, it was just, it was a great time. And we had this, this man that called into the church office this last week and spoke to our receptionist, Karen, and he says, hey, listen, I, I don't need to talk to pastor, don't need to talk to anyone, I just need to know Fellowship of the Rockies saved my life. He said, I need to tell you my story. He said, my story is this, that, that I've gone through, man, I've gone through a really difficult year. He said, I'm, I'm dating a, a, a Christian woman, and, and we're having some difficulty, and, and the relationship is broken off, and so I, I have that going on in my life. I've lost three family members this year, and I have that going on in my life with everything else that is going on, and so I came to the place that I decided that I was going to take my life. I was going to kill myself. He said, I felt God wanted me to go to the drive-in worship service. I went to the drive-in worship service, and out there on the pavement, God spoke to me. God, I, I met him there. And as a result of that, I'm not going to take my life. He said, I just need you guys to know. God saved me through you guys. And I'm just calling in to tell you, thank you. I, listen, I'm telling you telling you we didn't do anything special that night it was just out on the out on the parking lot out on the asphalt we just parked cars around and our worship team led we 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 spoke scripture we presented the gospel and god changed lives god changes lives god's a big god and God's still changing lives today. And then you look at this issue of, of, of Job, and he found freedom from his past hurts. And, and God, told, God told Job's three friends that you need to go to Job and you need to ask for forgiveness. He told Job, you need to forgive them. You need to pray for them. And Job 42.9 says, So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namanite went and did what the Lord had told them to do. They were obedient. They obviously met God as well. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. It's probably a hard thing for Job's three friends to do. Go to Job and ask for forgiveness. It's probably a hard thing for Job to do. To forgive. And just simply pray for them. Intellectual faith says I need to forgive. Personal faith, I will forgive. I will forgive. I will pray for them. I will walk through that process. And, and now then you see that, Job, that God liberated Job and liberated his, his, his friends. And verse 10 and Job 42 says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. And when he had prayed for his friends. So many people live in bondage because they're unwilling to forgive. Because they refuse to forgive. Job found freedom from his personal pain, his personal hurt, when he was willing to forgive the ones that had hurt him so much. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. 
Job restored all of these laws. God had set him free. And he offered grace. Fact is, we won't, we won't read the scripture. We don't have time to read the scripture this morning. But, but, but all of a sudden, all of Job's other friends, when Job got his business back and started making money again and had fortunes again, uh, all of his friends that were like on the, on the fringes, uh, that had walked away. Remember those scriptures that Job said, all my friends, my relatives have forgotten me, my, my family has forgotten me. All of a sudden, those people that were unwilling to help Job in his crisis, they came back and they're saying things like, hey, we just wanted you to know we prayed for you every day. We cared about you. We were worried about you. And the question is, how would Job treat them? And Job welcomed them back. A person that's able to extend grace to others knows what it is to receive grace. It's hard for an individual if they've never truly received the grace of God and understand that he has totally and completely forgiven them. It's hard for them to extend grace to others. The last thing is this, is Job found restoration in the future. He found healing in the past. He was never the same, but is also forward-looking. He found restoration in, in the future, and, and, and God blessed Job. Job 42, 1 through 3, just one more time. This is a scripture we started out with. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job said, for this point on, Lord, I'm going to focus on the things that I know. And I know that I can trust you. I know that I am small and you are large. I know that I had a small view of you. And even though I don't understand what you're doing, Lord, I can trust you. In this season, and we're going to do this in, in closing in just a few minutes. In this season, I have found myself needing to pray more our father prayers. Just a reminder that he is my father. And he is a good, good father. And he is in control and I'm not. He cannot be controlled. He cannot be manipulated. His purpose, his plans cannot be changed. Even though it seems like nobody's in control, he's in control. I saw the Lord seated on the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we as Christians, we should have confidence about the future. We should not live in fear like the world lives in fear. Because we know the one who is seated on the throne. We know the one who is in control. And we can trust him. So I found myself praying through Psalms like we do now in the word of encouragement and learning to pray that over people and help people and give comfort. But I've also found myself praying our Father's prayers. One of the most famous is, is the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us. So here's how we're, we're going to close. I'm just going to invite you to pray that with me. Would you, would you stand with me? And then here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and then we're going to read this together. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be dismissed. It's almost like Pastor Dwayne said earlier, watch and pray. And so the words of the, the, the Lord's Prayer is going to come up. And so here, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 
I'm going to ask you just to recite this, read this out loud, say this out loud with me. Make this personal. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you just need to be reminded that he is your father. That he is a good, good father. And that you could trust him. You could trust him. Just like Job. So let's read this together. Let's pray this together. You ready? Our Father. Okay, let's try it again. <laughs> and then let's say it like we mean it, with some, with some passion, some emotion. I know it's early in the morning. So let's try again. You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we can just open up your word. And it brings comfort, it brings encouragement, and sometimes, sometimes it confronts us with some things. But Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel that changes lives. And Father, may this morning, may we know that you are our Father. And may be reminded that you're a good Father. And so Father, this morning, we just ask you that you just speak to us. That you meet our daily needs. That you give us our daily bread. And Father, we'd like it weekly, we'd like it monthly, we'd like it yearly, we'd like it all at one time. But Father, you tell us you give it to us daily so that we'll trust you daily. So may we live in today, may we live in the present. Father, for this congregation, you know the needs that are in this room. You know the daily bread that is, that is needed to be given. Would you give it today? Lord, would you lead us not into temptation? Temptation to have a small view of you. Temptation to believe that you're not in control. A temptation to trust ourselves and our intellect and our knowledge rather than just trusting you. May we trust you. Would you just deliver us from evil? Would you just protect us? Would you just protect us? Give us comfort. Just give us comfort. Give us the ability, Lord. Would you just give us the ability to extend grace to one another? When there's opposing views and disagreements, quick to forgive, quick to restore relationships. May we know that we have met with you today. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made a decision of any sort today, we'd love to know about it. There's a QR code on the back of your seat. You can scan that. Connect card's going to come out. You can come up. You can fill that out. That'll get to us if you're watching online or on demand. You can click connect card at the top. Our live prayer and someone will meet you in the 
in the, in the virtual room. And they'll have a conversation with you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May his make his countenance shine upon you and give you joy. And may you know the peace of Christ this week. God bless you. Thank you for being here.